it's in something. Though. Oh, a story like that's got to be true. Yeah, it, it's because I saw it. <laughs> I actually saw yeah. it. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Howdy. And we're going to continue our series of best of the years that we've been alive, and it's going to be 2006 this year. Your baby is the miracle the whole world's been waiting for. The secret impresses no one. The trick you use it for is everything. Go away, Baton! A real loser is somebody that's so afraid of not winning, they don't even try. Harold would brush each of his 32 teeth 76 times. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt, because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. Pay strict attention to what I say, because I choose my words carefully, and I never repeat myself. You're gonna love me! my neighbor, Nur Sultan Tuliakbay. He is painting my assholes. Everybody wants to be us. I'm better to smoke right now. You want to smoke? You don't smoke, do you? Right? What do you want, all those fitness freaks? Huh? Go fuck yourself. Thank God we're no longer talking about 2005. I know. Yeah, we, you know, 2005, uh, a terrible year, obviously, but um, a lot to talk about. We did have a lot more to say than I expected. <laughs> yeah. But there's more that I really like in 2006. Yeah, 2006 Definitely. has got a lot of, like, pretty good heavy hitters here. Um, what should we start off with? The best picture, The Departed, yeah. um, mm-hmm. is what came out in 2006. It was a re- remake of Infernal Affairs. Yes. Which is also a very good movie. It if is. you haven't seen, If you haven't seen the original of that, it's really good. I think The Departed might be better, though. I, I have only seen the original once, and it was after I'd seen The Departed, which probably gives me a bias. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and it's not a subtitles thing. Um, I'll eat some subtitles for breakfast. It's just, I think The Departed, it may just be the actors, because mm-hmm. it has such a heavy-hitting cast. Yeah. This is one of the most stacked casts of high-quality actors Ever. Oh, yeah. Alec Baldwin, Martin Sheen, Leo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, and I could stop there. Yeah. And my mm-hmm. statement is true. Yeah. I would watch, uh, you could yeah. take almost any of those characters and give them a spin off movie, and yeah. I would watch it. Um, well, now, they're doing a TV show, right? Well, I don't think it's going to be based on like a spin off. I think yeah. it's just going to be the same concept stretched out uh, over okay. a season instead of because we have no original ideas anymore. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that this was the movie that Martin Scorsese finally got his Oscar on. Yeah. Like it, even though it's great, and I think that he's doing his normal great job in this too. I mean, especially seeing that I always go back to that's like just as Scorsese as hell is when DiCaprio is chasing Damon through the oh, yeah. uh, after the porno theater and mm-hmm. everything. There's so many Scorsese things in that that's just like gets you like gives you your geek boner, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh and uh but like it's just such a good movie, but at the same time I was like, man, you guys stiffed him for years and years and years and yeah. it finally took a movie that made over 100 million dollars at the box office for you to finally say, okay, I guess he's best director, you know, <laughs> like it, he's done so many great movies. You just didn't give it to him. But uh, anyway, I still think The Departed's great. So Yeah, I do too. Uh, if you uh, if you like filthy dialogue that's super quotable, The Departed is for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I think my single, I think I finally picked my single favorite line reading and it's 
when the Martin Sheen and Wahlberg are like giving Nicholson shit at the dock right before he gets on the boat with the nuns or whatever. And uh-huh. he's like, wouldn't you rather wipe my ass for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> well, and yeah, and it, and like all the like, just like outrageous racist stuff that people just oh, get away geez. with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's absolutely insane uh, how, how much they get away with. But it's a, a, a little bit refreshing because a lot of times... You know, they pull the punches and they say that coded language and everything. Mm. I'd rather you just come right out and say what you mean. Yeah. You know? well, and these are characters. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a movie. That's not a real guy. Like, yeah. Jack Nicholson does not say those words in real life. Right. I, I presume he yeah, does not. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the, so the Best Picture uh, nominees that year were The Departed, Little Miss Sunshine, The Queen, Babel, and Letters from I- Iwo Jima. So wasn't a heavy hitting. Babel like, got nominated for Best Picture. Yes, it did. That's on my do not like list. Well, and that same here same here um yeah that was kind of a strange year because yeah. you know I, and i like the queen i thought the queen was all right mm-hmm. i just i never i just didn't ever think it was bad i thought that was helen mirren was great and yeah whatever letters from me with jima seemed to be the clean clean eastwood train that kept coming through in the mid aughts yeah I, I thought Letters from Iwo Jima was a good movie. I just didn't know if it was the best picture. Well, even Little Miss Sunshine, I, I love. Mm-hmm. I love it more than a lot of people who like it, but mm-hmm. I still don't think Best Picture nominee when I think of that movie. Yeah, they were trying to, I guess, get some diversity in there. I guess. It's yeah. a great little indie movie if you've yeah. never seen it. Oh, yeah. We talked about it a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, Did we talk about Little Miss Sunshine as a part of that year? We just talked about it in that scene, that last scene uh, as being like this triumphant, beautiful yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the moment. It wasn't really the movie itself i i i don't like this movie as much as much uh, as a lot of people i know i don't think it's bad uh i've just been kind of like yeah i'm okay with it you know it's kind of like that um i love steve carell in it Mm -hmm. i think he's great in it and uh, alan arkin always is great too But I, I think maybe possibly I was just tired of these like, you know, dysfunctional family type of movies at the time yeah. for whatever reason. And just like, oh, here's more of that. Look yeah. at that. Bad grandpa <laughs> and like uh, the put upon wife and all this other type of stuff. And I was just getting tired of that type of stuff. But still pretty good movie. Yeah. Abigail Breslin is is great. In yeah. It. Really, every every bit of it works mm-hmm. uh tony collette and greg kinnear and everybody you mentioned steve carell steve Car- this is i guess his first big dramatic kind of turn even though this is a comedy mm-hmm. uh he plays a very depressed guy he does um that uh is is gay he's um boyfriend or is is lost lover uh is the the, the best Bruce scholar in the world and he's the second yeah best. yeah yeah and uh it's such a weird reason to to kind of onset that depression but it's it's but great it connects it feels real mm-hmm. i think uh i'm gonna butcher his name is it paul dano or paul dano i think it's paul dano uh he's fantastic in this yeah and he doesn't even have dialogue for yeah. like three-fourths of the movie yeah. but he's pretty riveting to watch and then of course when he when he does start talking again for somewhat tragic reasons from his perspective kind of a gut punch for me mm-hmm. i was like damn i feel really really shitty for that guy yeah. <laughs> but anyway this is one of those movies that when i saw it i was like i really like that i need to show my wife and that's kind of rare because my wife and i don't have the same taste mm-hmm. but it, i do think most people would enjoy this movie yeah yeah, yeah. it's a crowd pleaser <laughs> so yeah jonathan dayton and valerie ferris who i believe did like smashing pumpkin videos and stuff oh, really? like that back Ooh. in the 90s and it was weird to see them make this kind of a movie yeah because uh, that thing, Red Hot Chili Peppers, R.E.M., was were 
were uh, some guy, some bands that they yeah they all of them do great videos yeah but uh, anyway uh, what else is on the docket well we mentioned the prestige I mm-hmm. think we should probably talk about that yeah oh, man do I love this movie me too I think I tweeted a couple months ago what is Christopher Nolan's best movie and why is it the prestige <laughs> um, Every time I've seen this maybe 12 or 13 times at this point, every time I watch it, I find new reasons to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. The staging of this film story, I'm, I'm convinced it was scripted to be all out of sequence. And this wasn't just like some editing revelation when they got, oh, let's make it all out of sequence. It, it hits the beats perfectly because he's hopping back and forth in time and changing perspectives. I just, uh, there's so much intelligence behind this movie. That's why I'm a Christopher Nolan fan. Yeah. yeah, it all it all coalesces. It all fits together, even though you jump. It, it doesn't it doesn't jar you at all. Like it it all makes sense and it all fits in, especially at the end, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It it all leads to that. You know, the last ten minutes or uh-huh. so. Um, and even though you're kind of thinking it, you haven't really accepted it yet. Yeah. Um, but man, do I love this movie. What do you it's, What do you guys think? It's based on a book, and I don't know how the book. I'd never read the book um, on this one. I don't know how it went, if it went back and forth like this movie does and everything. Uh, Nolan does like to do that quite a bit. He likes to have those, like, you know, people having a soliloquy of some sort or whatever. And, you know, you see Christian Bale in jail and, like, you know, uh, what here's what's happening right now. It's kind of like mini montages that he likes to throw in his movies and everything. Um, But, yeah, it's one of those, these movies that, like, it, it brings so many, like, uh, fun ideas about magic that I don't, we don't really ever consider. Right. And and it's, it's part of the plot of it is, you know, the, the commitment that the, like the Asian man has when he's like, you know, he's, he's yeah. like pretending to be old everywhere, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and so in like, and oh, just the fact that they're killing the canary yeah. and having another one, like you never think about that type of stuff. Yeah. And there's that great scene too, where the little kid is like, He's like, oh, you killed it, you killed it. He's like, no, it's right here. He's like, but what happened to its brother? (laughs) (laughs) He's a shop one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, These guys utterly destroy each other. Yes. Oh, man. They're so wrapped up in it. It's crazy. They both wrote fake diaries to fuck with the other one. (laughs) Right. Right. That's the level of commitment. They each want to be the best magician in the world. But more than that, they want to be better than that other guy. Mm -hmm. And... That's what drives everything that happens in this film. Mm-hmm. Their, their performances are so great. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen Hugh Jackman, outside of maybe some Wolverine moments, be more engaging. Yeah. No, absolutely not. This is, yes. this is his best performance. Absolutely. Yeah, this is his best. And we have a turn from David Bowie, who I did not even know was David Bowie for yeah. a really long time. Uh, I, I remember seeing, I think I remember seeing the opening credits. I was like, oh, David Bowie's in this. <laughs> and then I just did, I forgot about it. And I saw him and I was, I just saw his character as Tesla. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's this guy. Oh, he's got yeah. such a great, like, clipped European accent yes. that doesn't make you sound like David Bowie. Yeah. And talk about a spinoff. I would totally watch a David Bowie, Andy Circus yeah. spinoff. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> just them inventing crazy shit yeah. that doesn't exist. Away in Colorado. This is a, this is a, just a great combination of mood, story, um, acting, all that. It's Everything's perfect about it. Did nothing, though, at no. the box office and really got no love at all. And maybe... I don't know if I've run into anybody outside of our circle who loves it. I mean, I knew people at the movie theater and stuff who loved it, but um, 
I would say out of this podcast, if you haven't seen The Prestige, this is the one I'm going to re- recommend you go watch. Out of this whole year, probably would be my if highest. If you haven't seen it yet, that's that is a movie that you must see, and we won't spoil it. for And you. don't get me wrong, I, you you can understand it on your first viewing. Uh-huh. When I'm talking about how much there is to appreciate and how I see new things every time, that's just icing on the cake. Yeah, like it's not as though the movie ended and I was like, "What?" and I had to watch it again. Like you get everything you're supposed to get, um, but. It's one of the most rewatchable movies, not just like when I rewatch The Martian, I'm enjoying it. When Mm. I rewatch The Prestige, I'm watching it. Yeah. You know, you got to pay attention. Yeah. You have to pay attention and it makes you think it makes you hold on and it makes you want to pay attention to the next one. It's like, what are they going to do next? You know? Yep. Absolutely. What else? I want to run through the top 10 of this year because it's usually it's it's pretty much a garbage job. (laughs) Um, the number one movie of 2006 was Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Christ. An awful, awful experience. We were all duped. It's the second best Pirates movie, though. Oh. That's not even a discussion worth having. I actually- actually, That series, not pirate movie. I actually put it dead last, and mainly for that Johnny Depp interlude that they throw in there in the island island where he's like in in the purgatory or whatever and it's like you really like johnny depp so we're gonna give you 50 times the depth on this one and it's it's a fucking long movie and then this happens and you're like it's not as amusing as you think it is no it's i don't even think it's amusing like at all unless you're five yeah no the the moment the jack sparrow proverbially jump the shark is where he's got this necklace of toes yeah. around him and he starts biting the toenail mm-hmm. <laughs> like what the fuck is that yeah man? um number two was night at the museum who yeah, okay yeah. it's okay i i i, I think it, i still think it's on the garbage side it is very much a kid's movie yeah yeah you gotta be have kids or you know be a kid to really appreciate it but you know, it's fun enough, I guess. Yeah. The the one the this is the where I thought Pixar may have wavered a bit on their winning streak, and that was Cars. Mm-hmm. Cars came out in two thousand six. It's pretty good. It's it's actually not as bad as now the sequel. Oh, oh Jesus! Fucking Jesus. awful. But this one was the first. Like I felt like the first time I ever like felt people really not liking a pixar movie was this one um even though there had been other ones in the past that some you know bug's life wasn't high on a lot of people's list even though bug's life is still pretty good i do love that moment when he's fixed all the neon and the roads repaved and the lights come on at night and that song is playing yeah Um, yeah life would be a dream yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're all cruising along the road. Yeah. That gives me happy goosebumps. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's one of the more forgettable ones. I happen to like it more than most, but it's not the shit pile everybody says it is. Yeah. Uh, then there was X Men: The Last Stand, which uh, we all know that you know basically told Fox to like let's re- regroup on this shit. Yeah. Um, That's when they started like coming up with classifications for mutants and everything. It's like, and everybody suddenly knows like that's the most powerful classified mutants yeah. i've ever yeah. run into by the way speaking of that i just read yesterday that there are rumors in hollywood that fox is thinking about rebooting the x-men franchise again really wow because they can only get one or two good movies out of any attempt apparently and then the third one sucks mm-hmm. and apparently what they want to do is reboot it but still somehow talk jennifer lawrence and fassbender and uh professor x to come back but still have, call it like a re- reboot somehow oh geez anyway i just I, that one made me smile now 
I may have liked X-Men The Last Stand a little bit better than most people, but it's still not good. Okay. You know, like there were moments in it that I was just like, oh, okay, I can get on board. But like- Ian McKellen is really having fun. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where you just kind of like, okay, he's t- he's running with it. <laughs> he, he knows it's junk. Is it that one where he's like, you will not be safe? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Your children will Well, let's not forget, the most ridiculous part of this is just him like, let's take the entire Golden Gate Bridge and throw it it on Alcatraz. And like, you know, (laughs) oh my God. Uh, Number five was The Da Vinci Code. Not a good movie. Number six, Superman Returns. Not a good movie. Mm, More poop. Um, Number seven was Happy Feet. I didn't like Happy Feet. No. Uh, and Elijah that, Wood hates you now. Yeah, is that the Elijah he Wood does. one? Yeah, I think so. There were like two animated Penguin movies that same. Yeah, year. I think George Miller did this. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> he either did this one or he was like involved with it. I I think he directed Happy Feet. I think you're um, right. Then there's Ice Age: The Meltdown. Man, this is a real. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then finally, we get to one that was good: the reboot of Bond, Casino Royale. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, this really brought Bond back, but it was also what Bond movies had done throughout the years. They said, what's popular now? Mm. Oh, Jason Bourne is. Let's make this movie like Bourne. And, and so it becomes a better movie because of it. It's a real nice, dark, sleek type of movie. We had never seen Bond like this before, really. I mean, like, uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, so many like cracky one-liner type yeah. of thing you know it was like uh it was it was like you know daniel craig is like i am not to be trifled with you know what it is it, it's just gonna sound weird but they made bond like sensual again yeah you know where it wasn't just like oh he's sleeping with every you know female that comes in the frame it's actually like you know he really like wants to pursue this certain type of woman you know that kind of thing yeah and uh it pays off certainly because he's got that kind of like raw sexual type of charisma yeah i don't really like it mm-hmm. i like daniel craig as bond i just don't think they've made a movie with him as bond that i can get solidly behind skyfall would be up there if it wasn't so goddamn ridiculous um but i do like him as bond i like the grittier more real seeming james bond and not the superhero seeming james bond well um, and uh, casino royale is also like 30 minutes too long yeah too. for sure like it's it uh, gets to that point where where it's like it feels like it's pretty much ended mm-hmm. and then there's the whole switcheroo with yeah. the money and all that and ava green dies and like oh, no. And, and like and it's like all right let's uh yeah and then let's spend the next four movies have him whining about it <laughs> seriously um and, you know so it's like it's part origin story and then part like you know like just movie like lord of the rings return of yeah. the king where it never ends that first scene is great though oh yeah first first scene's great um so and that that just goes to show what the box office was kind of like so uh go on what what else what else we want to talk about uh, we got to talk about Children of Men. Yes, we yes, do. We do. Um, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is Alfonso Cuaron, who does Gravity after this, mm-hmm. uh, who did the Harry Potter movie before this. Yep. Uh, and this is set in the future where nobody can have kids anymore. Yeah. And eventually, now we know the extinction date, basically, of humanity. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of feeling movie, basically. Mm-hmm. You've got 
essentially Reavers from Serenity out there in the woods. Uh, one of my favorite Michael Caine performances ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy, strawberry-tinged <laughs> marijuana smoking. Yeah, mega hippie. I call it strawberry cough. Pull my finger. But yeah, what a, what a great concept, you know, just to have, you know, nobody can have children anymore. You have one pregnant woman, and, yeah. and she's a mystery to everybody. Uh, and Clive Owen's job is to protect her and make sure that nothing happens. Um, and in the in the events of this, there are three action scenes are the how to do action scenes oh, in yeah. a movie. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, and I wish more people would uh, would follow the lead of this movie. And, and perhaps if it had made a lot more money, it, it would you know would have been would have been something that people followed. I think most people love this movie, but there hasn't been enough influence. I don't think uh if with studios or directors yeah. with how to make action scenes and this is the perfect way to do it this well, is this is the the tensest fucking movie i've ever seen yes it's tense as hell and that's because of those scenes well mm-hmm. that one uh, that now infamous one shot in the car where they get attacked in the yeah. woods and they're oh, yeah. backing up and one of them in the car dies and you think about you can't help but think about how many times did they have to do this to get this right because there's like 50 or more elements in motion and the camera's moving back and forward and around and looking out the front and the back and uh it's just artistry i don't Mm -hmm. care if he faked it and spliced it in the middle someplace where i didn't notice uh it makes that scene so fucking tense yeah it doesn't let you off the hook i mean you're you're just clenched up it's very much what he did with gravity later on but in a completely different Mm -hmm. context it just it, it you're you're white knuckling it almost all the way through yeah and and it and it feels like you know it feels like the the time you spend with Clive Owen in this movie is is you feel it with him and by the end of it when he's on the boat and he's like hell of a day <laughs> you're like you you I, I everybody laughed because it's like yeah I my, I've been holding my breath for the last two hours and it's one of those type of movies it's so fucking good well and he's a re- redeeming character in the sense that in the beginning he's pretty aloof about everything right mm-hmm. he only gets wrapped up in this because of his old college rebellious friend julianne moore who trusts him and needs somebody she can trust and at, at that time all he thinks he's got to do is go with her to this farm mm-hmm. then he finds out she's pregnant and that she says he's the only one she can trust and then other shit happens and yeah. he, gets, he gets more and more involved but by the end it's i don't think he's conflicted at all he's, he's doing what he knows he has to do uh which is i think a pretty big arc for that guy considering what was nominated for best picture this is a snub this oh, is a yeah. snub for sure. I mm-hmm. would say the prestiges as well. Yeah. Um, considering how much I hate Babel. Yeah. I saw it. I can't even tell you anything about Babel. That's how much I hated it. Yeah. I'll, I don't remember much about it either. And that's Alejandro G. Iñárritu, who's mm. also part of that Three Amigos crew and everything. Uh, I didn't like Babel at all. I thought there were some good performances in it and everything. Uh, yeah. But overall, it was a very forgettable movie. I just don't. I don't remember anything. Yeah. Remember Brad Pitt on a phone. That's all I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also part of that Three Amigos crew, Guillermo del Toro did Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like this very much, right? Well, I like it. I like it. I just thought that it was fawned over. (laughs) (laughs) Did not mean that. Did not mean that. Uh, Pun not intended. But I thought it was uh, more praised than it should have been. Like, it was a visual treat, much mm-hmm. like Guillermo del Toro usually does. Like, everything he does looks great. Yep. And there's, like, one great scene in it to mm-hmm. me. One great scene of fantasy. 
And then like a couple of, you know, like it's not really, you know, it's not really that much of a fantasy movie. It's more, it's more about the war. Yeah, right? oh, you know, hardly at all. all. Yeah. yeah. It was a you completely know? different. If you go in there looking at the poster and looking at the guy with the, the eyes in his hands and everything, yeah. you're getting a totally different movie. So oh, yeah. So, oh, that, yeah. so that's probably what contributed to it. Uh, although I did watch it later on and said, okay, I, I probably, I should have said that I liked this movie at least. It's probably his best movie. Oh, definitely his best movie that I've seen anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like older ones that people swear by, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked, I like it. I just, I mean, I remember when it came out, it just seemed like there was this universal like craze for it that I just didn't understand. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's good. It's a good movie. We had, uh, two 9-11 World Trade Center related movies. Yes, we did. This year. Uh, one was United 93 by Paul Greengrass. Yeah. And one was uh, Oliver Stone's World Trade Center. Yeah. I'll talk about that one first because it's, in my opinion, the worst one because um, it's basically Nicolas Cage under rubble for two hours. Yeah. And it's it's depressing in a non-entertaining way. Mm. United 93, I had to gear myself up to even watch it because it came out this is 2006, so it's still pretty fresh. And and the, and because you know what happens, and because Greengrass chooses not to show you those money shots that you've come to expect yeah. when people talk about 9/11. In fact, one of the most tense moments you're looking at like a radar screen yeah. in the FAA headquarters or what have you. Uh, God, this is you talk about tense. I think this movie is tenser than Children of Men. This mm. is this is one. Yeah, this is definitely one of the tensest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, bar none. And you're talking about that radar scene and talking about how he doesn't show show these, you know, so-called money shots and everything. Yeah, that was probably a poor choice of words. Um, well, I don't know. What else do you call it? I mean, that's exploitative when you when you do show those yeah. type of things. Yeah. Uh, instead, he does something which I believe is way more effective, and that is to show that radar thing and then show the, di- the plane disappear yeah. and you hear the faintest of... Yeah. In the background... And and you know what happened. You have it in your head. You yep. don't need to see it again. Exactly. And he does it so well. And uh, and like yeah, to see these people on the plane, like like coming up with their plans and and like trying to figure out what are they going to do and all that, and then just say you know fuck it, we have to do this, and, you know whatever. Uh, it has at the ending of this movie is just it's both heartbreaking, heroic, yep, and all, like a whole mixture of emotions, yep. thrown into one because you're just like, this is just one of those. This is one of those things where you like you don't know really after you just think about it for like hours after it's over. What a balancing act to yeah. to take this content and make it watchable and heroic <laughs> and heroic and not exploitative. Yeah. yeah. Well, and part of the reason it works, maybe maybe one of the only reasons it works so well, is that he didn't cast a Nicolas Cage or some Brad Pitt or somebody in these roles that, except for one face, I don't think I'd seen any of them in anything that I remembered them from. And so you you, you are subconsciously feeling like these are real people uh, as opposed to just people play acting. Anyway. Yeah, and they even got the the very guy, the boss, the guy that uh, was the head of the FAA at the time. Mm. The, they got the actual guy who was oh, wow. down on the ground to do, to you know, he was like, you know, because he was the one who made the call. Let's land all the planes right. and everything like that. They actually got that the 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 guy, and you know, and he basically was just doing what he did that day and everything. Mm. That's another thing they show a lot of the the stuff that's happening on the ground. And and just it's 
I think most movies do this thing like it was just another ordinary day. Yeah. And like, you know, they try to throw in all this stuff that's very just like, I don't know what to call it. It's it's they force it down your throat. Mm-hmm. This feels more like they're hearing it for the first time. Yeah. And all the stuff that's coming up to them is like new information to them. So anyway, yeah, this is a, you know, yeah, very good movie. Uh, I don't think it's exploitative and it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you know. It, I would I, I don't know it's just it's, it's very good yeah you, it's hard to recommend but right I mean you, you kind of would I guess yeah 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 I, I would recommend watching it if you are you know if you don't want I mean if you don't want to rehash all that then obviously you don't want to you don't mm. want to watch it but a uh, really good movie anyway what else I'll take a hard right turn into some comedies do okay. it uh one of my favorite of this type of movie is uh Talladega Nights the Ballad of Ricky Bobby yeah uh, I think for whatever reason, this movie hit me on every level, even more so than Anchorman, I think. Uh, it's it's weird because I would almost borderline call this one of my favorite Will Ferrell movies. Mm, yeah. mm. And I could give a rat's ass about NASCAR. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the comedy isn't really coming from the NASCAR elements anyway. Right. Um, but John C. Riley almost steals this movie. <laughs> um, when Will Ferrell yeah. and him have that split and he calls him and he's... <laughs> It's like, why are you watching TV and listening to the radio at the same time? And he misses no beats because I like to party. <laughs> <laughs> it's quotable as hell. Yes. Yeah. yeah, this is really funny stuff here. Um, and uh, I also love the turn from Sasha Baron Cohen. And oh, this yeah. As well. uh, and it gets and it. And there's so many like ridiculous moments that I appreciate and everything like, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen said something like, you know, he wants he wants Ricky Bobby to beat him so that he can retire and have a like a farm with yeah. dogs and cats on it or whatever. <laughs> and Will Ferrell's like, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> and, then, and like the whole thing with them running across the finish line and the announcers going like, well, it's totally illegal. And it will never count. But uh, you know, it's great, right? Yeah. Well, that part where they talk about how he's over-commercialized his car and even sold the windshield. That's right to Will Ferrell. Boy, boy this, is, uh, this obstructs my view, but I do love Fig Newton. <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. All, the, so all those scenes with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are just gold. Like when he comes to to the last race and he's like, Carl, I'm sorry. And he's like, well, I don't know what kind of magic you're trying to work right now, but I'm going to stand here and look tough until, <laughs> <laughs> until I work this shit out. You know? Don't they run like some bloopers at the end of some of the extra yes, takes from uh, like, I like to picture Jesus. I just remember John well, C. Riley going, I like to think of Jesus as an angry badger. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's one, there's one about like like funerals or something like that, like at the end, and, and, and John C. Riley's like something like having your dead body spill out just ain't cool or something like that. I can't. It's whatever it is. It's something like it's something ridiculous, and it's just ain't cool. Just ain't cool. Don't you stick that uh, knife in your leg, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> um, speaking of Sasha Baron Cohen, yep. Borat came yep. out, and this was really only ever going to work once, right? Not that he didn't try it more he times. Tried, yeah. he, he tried to do it with Bruno later, but uh, once the sort of the surprise of all this, once this became a huge hit and everything, there was really no chance for him to go and you know remine the Ali G show for characters that he had created on HBO anymore because everybody was like, okay, they got into it more at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, he still was able to kind of do it with Bruno, but Borat is really funny. And uh, I think it got way overexposed because everybody had to do those lines over and over and over again. But uh, but 
it's 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 sort of show you know it's a it's a great movie because it shows kind of what America is like yeah. when they take their they take their uh, guard down. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that's where all the humor is coming from. And, uh, you know, this guy who's just like, you know, I, I'm just I'm not here. Don't worry about what I what I think. He he's just sort of like there to egg them on with whatever they have. Yeah, And it's not pranky like you and I no, both don't like right. prankish stuff. It is a little Tom Greeny, though. A, a little bit yeah, and, it's, and it gets right to the level because i don't like that stuff but like it gets right to the level of uncomfortableness but like he plays it off so well that i think it it ends up working like when he's out at the rodeo and he's like we support your war of terror yeah, yeah. You know? and everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> um i when you said speaking of and went to this i thought you were gonna say stranger than fiction because will ferrell yeah. is mm-hmm. in both talladega nights and stranger than fiction well and stranger than fiction is great i fucking love it yeah I love it so much. It's a super high concept, like basic dramedy. For this guy wakes up one day, leads a boring, mundane life, and suddenly he hears somebody narrating everything he's doing. And it's Emma Thompson who's writing a book, and uh, Dustin Hoffman is fucking yeah, hysterical he in this is movie great. as a shrink that Will Ferrell tries to get help from. Maggie, <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal's in yeah. this as, mm-hmm. as somebody that he's trying to audit through his IRS work, but then they start to kind of maybe fall for each other. Just fucking charming and weird, man. I fucking love this movie. This yeah. was a script that I believe had a bidding war for years, mm. and they and uh, it you know it it sold for a, a pretty good price, and then and then when it was made, of course, it was like you know, oh, this is your you know four or five million dollar script, huh, or whatever, and yeah, it yeah. just kind of you know fell by the wayside, but. It has a lot of. It, I love the concept of it. There's that great line too, where Farrell is like trying to figure out what he is in this story, and and Dustin Hoffman's like, "Well, I just found out you're not a golem. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad that you're not a golem?" <laughs> in that way that he only he can say it. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I if I had somebody narrating my life, I probably would pick Emma Thompson. Yeah. She's yeah. Yeah. Story. She was great in that role. Everybody's great. Queen Latifah's in this movie, mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. great. Uh, if you've never seen it, there's a, I bet a bunch of you have never even heard of it because mm. it didn't do much. Yeah. It doesn't have a huge cult following, but I adore this movie and uh, I would I two thumbs up. Uh, yeah, another mm. little recommend here. Um, all right, so then we have some uh, some testosterone movies. Apocalypto. Uh-huh. Mel Gibson had stuck his foot in his mouth during this year, and so Apocalypto when it when it hit theaters it crash landed but i love it but it's great i love it so much yeah. it's a great movie and i've seen i've i've run into a lot of people since this came out that have have found it over the years do you think it would have done like gangbusters if if he hadn't done all that bullshit though i mean it's in like ancient mayan i think Mayan, i right? think he would have been able to uh, market it and go on the circuit and be able to you know talk about it without and get, being asked and get, about his comments. oh yeah and totally get, and get people hyped for it no i don't think it would have done braveheart business mm. or anything like that you are talking about a, a movie filmed entirely in an ancient language yeah with subtitles barely there but, but that's why i like it it's sort of that there's something about mel like even when he made passion of the christ he was so committed to like using Aramaic and like the yeah. actual language that they used instead of like trying to make it dumbed down for audience. I kind of respect that uh, attempt at, oh, yeah. you know, realism. Yeah. And this also has that, uh, I believe it's the, the trailer has that weird, like one frame shot of him standing next to one of his natives. And do you remember this? No. 
there if you watch the trailer for apocalypto there's a one frame like blip it's like maybe even faster than that of him standing next to one of his natives on the at, at the studio with a big cigar and huge beard what the fuck? and he's just like <laughs> why would you cut that into a trailer it's just <laughs> it's a, like, a Tyler Easter, it's like an easter egg thing now <laughs> maybe it wasn't in the main trailer but it was definitely in like something that's that, goofy as hell yeah now <laughs> Now, yeah, this is one of those things, Barrett, if you, in your research, find that this wasn't in the actual trailer, it's in something. Though. Oh, a story like that's got to be true. Yeah, it's because I saw it. I actually saw yeah. it. So, yeah. So, like, yeah, if if, so, if you don't find this, then I've, like, been, like, you know, inceptioned or something like that. Um, What else, guys? Uh, I'm showing Alpha Dog. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which was uh, Nick Cassavetes, right? And. Uh, of course, we just lost Anton Yelchin, um, and this is maybe his best performance. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He is, I think I told you guys this, I may have said it on the podcast, but when I saw Alpha Dog for the first time after he had died and realized, I didn't realize this the first viewing, that those opening baby photos are all the actors. Oh, yeah. They're real baby photos. And so you see baby on Anton Yelchin there, and of course, he's basically, he's 15 in the movie, but he's just a baby that gets the short end of the stick mm. this is a huge cast yeah this is a filthy movie it's violent um one drug dealer ben foster owes yeah. money to <laughs> another drug dealer emile hirsch and emile hirsch decides to kidnap his younger brother but it's not really a kidnapping because he's being held by justin timberlake who's super <laughs> awesome yeah. and gives him weed and helps him get laid and all this other stuff so that for the for the kid for most of the movie he's just having fun yeah and and doesn't ever believe anything bad is going to come of this. My brother will pay the money, he keeps saying. Um, but what a what a tragic movie. Great performances. Yeah. Ben Foster is terrifying. Yes, he, he is. is. He in really this movie. legitimately is. I so mean, he screams upstairs on the phone <laughs> when Emile Hirsch calls him. He sounds like the devil. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're scared of him. He's like, you hear all these stories about Steve Smith in uh, the NFL of like, he's got this white hot rage in him that like if you tap into it doesn't matter how tough you are, like, you're going to get killed. Yeah. Like, that's what I feel like when I watch Ben Foster's performance yeah. in this. Yeah. And look, I mean, the, the cast is absolutely huge. Bruce Willis is in this. Sharon Stone is in this. Olivia um, Wilde. Olivia Amanda Seyfried. Yep. And Timberlake does a great job, too. Yeah. Really, really, This really is one of the early performances where you're like, this guy has got some acting yeah. talent, too. Uh, this also had this movie also went through a little bit of litigation, I think, because the actual this is a based on mm. a true story, and uh, like and it wasn't I don't think it was the movie necessarily that was in trouble, but the uh, people who were giving the uh, the filmmakers the facts were giving them stuff that shouldn't have been shouldn't have come out yet, uh -oh. and and so like I think that was some stuff that that kept this movie from getting a release for a really long time mm, too. Interesting um but uh yeah you, you read up on the story it's pretty interesting uh thing about alpha dog but yeah really good movie really good um also in 2006 the devil wears prada mm -hmm. i like it i yeah. do too oh yeah i don't i mean it's breezy it's but i really like it i feel like it doesn't have a great reputation uh like it's just considered mostly harmless but when i'm flipping channels and i see it i often stop yeah meryl streep is is it meryl streep yeah yep. meryl streep is awesome in yeah. this movie um Anne Hathaway's plenty good, but she's basically just the canvas that for everybody else to play off of. This is one of the first times I ever saw Adrian Grenier in a non-entourage Yeah, role. And he has a small throwaway yes. role as the boyfriend. But, yeah. um, just a really good story about a 
girl who wants to get this prestigious internship, even though she doesn't give a shit about fashion, based on a book. Yeah, um, about Anna Winter. Yeah, right? based on uh, Anna Winter. And, um, and it's just fun. I just really enjoy it. The only thing about this movie that bothered me a little bit was that it was swimming with sharks all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And they and and swimming with sharks, for whatever reason, has never gotten its due. Devil Wears Prado makes tons of money and then, you know, Well, I mean swimming with sharks budget. got dark. And this didn't get nearly as no, dark as <laughs> But when when I saw people fawning over it and everything, I'm like, come on, bring a, at least bring the movie yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Because it's almost the exact same thing yeah. it's a, you know somebody going in trying to get a year's worth of internship <laughs> blah, blah 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 and like the boss is unreasonable you know like like the whole scene which is funny in devil wears prado where like she has to get the next harry potter book that yeah. hasn't even been published yet <laughs> to her daughters and everything that's exactly like that's, in swimming with sharks yeah, where he's tearing, out tearing all up the, all the magazines yeah. that have the bad article yeah. about him still yes enjoyable movie i i don't want to take away from it and, and you know like as a as a good movie it is mm-hmm. um also in 2006 idiocracy came yeah. out and uh, no one saw it. Well, famously, didn't get a, a theatrical release anywhere except like three cities, and it wasn't New York or L.A. Was it Texas? I, I think Texas, Texas Texas may have gotten one, but it was like random spots. They had no, I have no clue to this day what happened with Idiocracy and like why the studio decided to, to release the movie this way or why they didn't just come out with it on straight to video if they were so worried about it. But that's anyway. crazy. Mike Judge had a great hitting streak up until then. Yeah. yeah. Although I know Office Space didn't do a lot in the of, theaters, but none by of his, now. Yeah. None of his movies had ever done anything. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they had, he had a cult hit he's like he's he's kind of like kevin smith in that way where mm. like a lot of people like him but not everybody was likes king of the him. hill still on at this point though? Mm-hmm, so yeah that was a, i mean it was never as big as the simpsons but that was a pretty big hit for a while yeah it was but but i don't think a lot of people associated mike judge with great movies or anything no, like it was right. beavis and butthead and king of the hill and everything but like uh yeah people liked office space but like the your next mike judge movie that comes out isn't going to be but here, it's really the studio's studio's fault, I believe. I, they come out with it in some bigger cities and like a little bit. And this has become a cult hit yep. over the years. Mm-hmm. And because of the, the, you know, what we're living in now and everything. Uh, it just like just a lot of the things in Idiocracy just seem like they're coming true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Enough so that anyone who feels like society is getting dumber is going to enjoy the exaggerated version of that in this movie yes uh, the first time i saw it i didn't really enjoy it that mm-hmm. much and maybe i just wasn't upset with the world around me enough at that point in life but now i saw it like a few weeks ago and i was laughing my ass off i had the exact same experience i didn't like it because i i was also kind of primed for like the beavis and butthead humor which i guess it taps into and like the office space type of humor and this is putting his foot on the accelerator mm-hmm. of, and and he doesn't let any of the characters off the hook. Dak, uh, Dak Shepard is just a fucking moron. Yeah, and like it. He's gonna drive that point in. Yeah. Um. But I, I love him. I mean, you know, you have Luke Wilson, you have Maya Rudolph, you have um Terry Crews, and a great. Yeah. This is. I believe this is where we got the Terry Crews we got today was from this Hector Camacho, mm-hmm. you know, President Hector Camacho <laughs> character or whatever. Um. But uh. But yeah. I mean. It really, when you're looking around, and, and I don't want to make this political or anything, but when you're looking around like on TV and you see the reality shows and you see 
you know, the type of things that we value in this society and all those other type of stuff, you start thinking, is it too far off? Yeah. I don't think Owl My Balls is too far <laughs> off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, well, we're willing I'm, to watch almost anything. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, that's another movie. If you haven't seen that, that's uh, that's definitely worthwhile. How about a movie I think you guys both love, Inside Man? Oh, like, yeah. Inside, yes. Love that. This is Spike Lee, right? Yes, it is. And it's Denzel, Jodie Foster, and Clive Owen again. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Clive Owen had a good year. Yeah, he did. And mm-hmm. this is my favorite time to say, I say no bank robbery. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I really like this movie. It is not like your typical bank heist movie. Yeah. I think that's why it's so enjoyable. It's yeah. got to be Spike Lee. I mean, it's not like any Spike Lee movie I've ever seen. That's too. true. But I do feel like he approached it in a way that a lot of other directors wouldn't have. They mm-hmm. would have made it a lot more straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie only works as well as it does because it's so not straightforward. Oh, yeah. I mean, the addition of somebody like Jodie Foster that just kind of comes out of nowhere but really changes the whole narrative. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what a freaking ending to this yeah. man it it gets me every time yep yep it's well, amazing and and look and this is a movie that you could very well say may have been made with that ending in mind <laughs> yeah but everything leading up to it is fantastic yeah. entertaining great all that type of stuff so you don't feel cheated by the end of it. i love a movie that can more than three or four times throughout get me speculating on what could be happening mm-hmm. uh only to show me something that proves my theory wrong so i come up with another theory and then i'm wrong that's sort of the way the movie's built it's supposed to make you feel that way yeah but I, I love it yeah it's great and, and you're right uh, spike lee this is a totally different from movie for him he is doing a full-on studio picture here this yeah. isn't this isn't any uh this isn't like you know any kind of like indie movie or any movie that's gonna like uh, you know, get everybody in an uproar or anything like that. This is just solid entertainment, and it's great. Yeah, it really doesn't have any a, a lot of subtext to it. Um, it's interesting that Denzel is probably like my least favorite part of this movie, um, because he's just hot shot cop, you mm-hmm. know, with this thing hanging over his head. Yeah. Uh, there's you know some silly things in there where he like plays the the uh, recording over the loudspeakers in the van so that somebody can recognize it as yeah. being what Armenian. Language this? Yeah. What language is this? Just put yeah. it on. Yeah. 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 It's Armenian or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, a movie that is, I think has gotten a, a, a following over the years, is, and this and this could very well make it the the most, um, I don't know, the, the best video game adaptation is Silent Hill. Yeah. And the movie is just gorgeous to oh, look yeah, at. Yeah. And it's got that creepiness to it and everything. Now, I don't know if I'm as high on it as the people who have like become big, huge followers of this movie, but it is it is worth considering as one of the best video game adaptation movies that have been made. I agree. Yeah. yeah. When I watch, I actually watched it with my wife, who is not into video games, is not into horror films and anything like that. And uh, we ended up in, enjoying it. Oh, and it uh, and it was written by Roger Avery, who mm. was uh, you know he was co-writer on Pulp Fiction mm. and and all that, and uh, and uh, he did Rules of Attraction. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, it was yeah. Silent Hill is just one of those movies. It's got, it's got that mood perfect, uh-huh. perfectly set. What else, guys? What did you guys think about Mission Impossible Three? Um. Okay. So everybody seems to think that was a return to form, and I thought it was pretty bland. Yeah. Really. It's definitely a return to f- better form than Mission Impossible okay, 2. I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with but that. But it was J.J. Abrams taking over this franchise. What makes this entertaining is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. He is a so terrific good. bad guy. Oh, man. It's a wonder he hasn't played bad guys more often after this. <laughs> yeah, he's so good in this. I'm going to make him hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to make... 
What's your wife's name? Yeah, I'm just going to make him hurt. <laughs> he put, he, Tom Cruise is walking around in the hospital parking lot after he's thrown Philip Seymour Hoffman from the plane. And the, he gets the, gets the call and, it, and he answers and he's like, hello. And he's like, you threw me off a plane. That's <laughs> 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 the first thing he says. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Jeremy on this one because J.J. Uh, Abrams took this and said, let's make Alias only with uh, Ethan Hunt. Yeah, very much. And uh, that's what this movie is. Everything about it, he's he's dating, He's uh, he's got all these weird excuses for what he does at yeah. his work and uh, and all that. And I loved Alias, but I just didn't want to see it in this movie. No, I agree with you. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's way better than two. Uh, but when four and five come along, it blow this one way oh, the hell yeah, out of Oh, yeah, absolutely. Water. But it did kind of set it back on the same path because you could see it. That franchise going the John Woo direction of just over the top visuals, stunts, all that stuff, and it r- righted the ship at least a little there bit. There was a time where I, before this J.J. Abrams one, where even though I hated the John Woo Mission Impossible two, I liked the idea of a huge director with a vastly different style doing each mm-hmm. episode because we'd had Brian De Palma do the first one, mm-hmm. and then John Woo comes in and does its John Woo thing, and then we could have like a Fincher Mission Impossible or like a Spielberg, I don't know. It was never going to happen. And I'm pretty happy with what they're doing now. Well, so. it pretty much did, right? Brad Bird and then Christopher McQuarrie? Yeah, but then we got, now we're going to get McQuarrie again, which I'm totally fine with mm-hmm. because he hit it out of the park. But yeah, it did, did kind of go down that path mm-hmm. a little bit. Another movie that came out in 2006 that I don't think either of you have watched and you definitely need to is called The Lives of Others. Mm. Uh, one best foreign language film of 2006. Um, and uh, it's about a guy in the 80s east berlin who's spying on this couple and it has so many great revelations in it and everything uh i don't want to spoil it for you but it is such a good movie and it is it's going to be up there in my voting uh when when it when we get down to it because it is absolutely fabulous this has popped up on like every recommendation list like from netflix or amazon that i've ever had it's like you should watch this movie i just have and well it's one of those movies when you when you see the title and you're like do i really want to do have have enough time to get in this right now because uh find the time because this this movie's magnificent and uh and um I can't recommend it enough. Wow. That is a heavy recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> I will give a similarly not heavy recommendation, but a, a thumb up to Blood Diamond. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, This was, I only ever saw this in the first place because I went on this Leonardo run where I decided this guy is one of the best actors going around and I'm going to see everything of his that I've never seen. And so Blood Diamond, I actually watched it on a plane um, and I fell in love immediately. It's uh, such a great, story jamon hunsu is amazing in yes. this movie um you know you can quibble with accents here or there if you want I, i've never been to south africa or anywhere in africa but leo's accent rings pretty true to me it sounds great and <laughs> whether he, whatever he's going for he gets it gets it consistent funny at least about his accent though is that in the trailer i thought this is gonna be fucking awful yeah then I watched it and I was like, no, this is really good. But they like in the trailer, they always got those worst things that he said or whatever. And yeah. they made it sound cartoony yeah. and everything. But then I watched it. And I was like, this guy's really good in this. This is He actually got nominated for this, did not get nominated for The Departed. Wow. 
that's a crime actually he's better in the departed yeah he is but but this is this is how they got leo a nomination was yeah to, you yeah know, whatever give him that but. and it gets a little preachy at the end with the the, the tacked on ending that mm. isn't really tacked on but that's where you really realize boy this movie wants me to think differently about diamonds yeah, sure. no. yeah. <laughs> well i know i had never thought about it before this movie came well out. no and i hadn't either and i think that's the point and you know my wife is not a big jewelry person anyway but she's like her engagement ring has like five super tiny stones in a line she didn't want anything gaudy but after this movie she said don't ever buy me a diamond again well chris has a big collection of diamonds indeed i don't know if you knew but uh, no are they uncut and, and, and in the fish tank they're uncut <laughs> you know what unkind and they're all conflict like? free they look just like regular rocks <laughs> um also the pursuit of happiness yeah. came out. Uh, i really enjoyed this movie i mean i think uh, i think some people we're eh, kind of back and mm. forth on it, but uh, um, especially since it's Will Smith and his kid. But it's way before yep. Jaden got a little kooky. Yeah, after like, Earth, he's just cute here. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I I really enjoy these type of stories where the where the underdog. It's not that they have some sort of physical prowess or or whatever that gets them out of their situation. They actually have smarts that get them out of their yeah. situation. Get get them out of their situation, and this, of course, it takes him forever. He's yeah. he's you know he's he has to go through a lot of stuff <laughs> in this movie, and but when he when he finally does get to that point, it's such an emotionally great moment. It is, and because um, you know what he went through and all this, but but yeah, I just love it when characters are smart and they're just like that diamond in the rough, like this guy is. Mm-hmm. But you see him, str- man. You want to reach out into the screen and give that guy money, man. Yeah. Like, I'll here, just do something with Get it. Get off that bathroom yeah, floor. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, it's it's got one of those titles, too. They, you know, spelt happiness mm-hmm. with Y and everything, which, you know, uh, obviously on purpose, but then everybody has to point out, well, the title of the movie, you know, title of the movie misspelled happiness. And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's a point where Will Smith. The reason why the movie is titled that is because somebody wrote it on a wall and on a school wall, and he's like, you know, they misspell happiness out there, right? <laughs> of course, by by doing that kind of ironic thing, you fucked up your own title or whatever. <laughs> um, also, what do you guys think of Deja Vu? Okay, so it's redonkulous. Yes, it is. But I like watching it. I love it. <laughs> it's one of the most preposterous time travel premises of all time. Yeah. Yes. Um but I don't I don't care. That's not I just I enjoy Denzel so much and Val Kilmer's good in this. Yeah. And I get wrapped up in the Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel's really creepy in this. Yeah. He's like the silent killer from the past that we're trying to look through this device to see before we send Denzel's entire body through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really, really like it. I like the way it sort of uh, gives us different perspectives the way they use that machine, almost minority reportish, to mm-hmm. squiggle in and out of buildings and rooms and show us what was going on. Um, it's fascinating, but it, it's not good. Yeah, one of the many um, Tony Scott, Denzel Washington uh, movies. But yeah, I really enjoy it. It's one of those. This is one that I, this is candy. You know, yeah. this is candy. You it's just, not good for you. Yeah. But uh, it's it's fun it's to watch. Good for you. It's fun to watch. <laughs> that's what that's what, I got to take the candy analogy all the way through. Yeah. Uh, I also just looked at my list and realized Will Ferrell was on fire this year because he was uh, the voice of the man with the yellow hat in Curious George. Oh which yeah, which is an animated yeah. movie that escaped almost all audiences. 
I don't know too many people in my social circles that ever saw it. My wife and I fell in love with it because of that quirky Will Ferrell kind of humor. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend Jack Johnson does all the music. Yeah, great um, soundtrack. Great soundtrack. It's just it's like 73 minutes long <laughs> in and out. Uh, and it's, I just like it a lot. I wish they would have made another one. Darren Aronofsky made The Fountain yep. this year. Mm. That movie has its followers. It's yeah. It's kind of interesting. They're named Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I really, really like Darren Aronofsky as a filmmaker. And then this movie came out and I was really excited about it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's visually stunning, yeah, but it just just never connected with me. Yeah, you, you didn't like it. No, did you? Do you feel like you got it? <laughs> Not sure that I did. I don't know if I did. Not sure that I, I did. watched it probably two or three times, mm-hmm. and I still, yeah. There's ties within each of the vignettes and all the different worlds and everything, but I just don't. It doesn't hit me like intellectually or emotionally or anything. Yeah, no. And then, of course, he's going to do The Wrestler after this mm-hmm. that hits me on oh, yeah. all levels. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I always view this as kind of a misstep. Requiem for a Dream is amazing. It's just hard for me to watch again. Mm-hmm. Then this one I, is forgettable, but all the rest of his stuff I've been really impressed with. Yeah. Uh, have you guys seen The Good Shepherd? Yeah, I just saw mm-hmm. it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's, this is a pretty good movie. Matt Damon and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, Matt yeah. Damon. And, yeah, it's uh, De Niro directed it, too um it's not i'm not coming out and saying that you should just need to go watch this now drop everything or whatever but give this a give this a chance it's a pretty good movie it's an old-timey spy kind of cloak and dagger kind of thing yeah really and uh who can you believe who can, it actually reminds me a lot of the trailers i'm seeing for this new brad pitt marion cotillard movie. Mm-hmm. um so if that looks interesting to you mm-hmm. you might enjoy the good shepherd yeah um also in 2006 the host came oh, out yeah. Has it, have you guys seen the host? Nope. Uh, it is. It's. It's not great by any means, but it's fun. Oh, this mm. is the guy that will do Snowpiercer later. Yes. Okay. Yes. Then I need to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that it's just a f- fun movie. I would just you know, whenever you have a chance, watch it. Um, Rocky Balboa came out in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even. I'm not. It a- was. You know what? I want to talk about it a little bit because this kind of resurrected still stallone for a bit it's not terrible it's not terrible either (laughs) but it i i feel like this movie got made because rocky five happened yeah yeah and and he felt really bad about rocky five and of course it comes out you know 20 years too late yeah yeah to to really save it i don't know how they made this fight believable between rocky and mason the lion dixon yeah but (laughs) i mean you, you kind of, yeah. <laughs> but you, but you kind of yeah. buy into that yeah. final fight. I'm like, I'm like, I, I shouldn't be believing this, but I'm believing this. Um, but yeah, just wanted to mention that because it was just a, it was a, it was weird. Like you don't expect much from it, so that's why I think that's why it was. Yeah. I mean, you're just like you're like the other characters in the movie where they're like, well, he's washed up. There's no way that this could happen. There's no way that. And then he gets in there and actually, of course, he's all you know, roided out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Like, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> every vein in his, his chest ve- is visible. His veins are crazy <laughs> in that movie. Um, but this sort of like got him back because then like you got another Rambo after this yeah. because of that. And the Expendables takes off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also in 2006, Lady in the Water. Oh, yeah. You had an interesting <laughs> experience with this, right? I liked the movie when I watched it. Now, I haven't seen it since. Uh, you should probably not just leave it right there yeah um 
there is like I've, I've discussed this before when you're working at movie theaters late at night and you watch something at midnight a lot of times it's just the way you're feeling if you're either tired or whatever i was in this very like clear like ah state when i watched this movie and like wasn't paying attention to really like whether it was good or bad <laughs> or anything like that and uh i'm not saying anything coded like i wasn't smoking weed yeah, or something yeah. like that <laughs> i was just i was just watching it and just going man I'm, i kind of dig the way this is and everything well, I, you're a big giamatti fan too and i am a big giamatti fan and um and so uh, I liked it, and I, I like the Bob Balaban character that a lot of people hated about this movie because M. Night Shyamalan's basically like exercising his demons through that character because yeah. he's a he's a miserable bastard, and so whatever. <laughs> but you know, there's just a part in there where some where he Giamatti's like, "How'd you like the movie?" and he's like, "Sucked." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, just wanted to just wanted to mention that one. I got a question, another question for you. What did you guys think of the Miami Vice reboot? Well, it's interesting because coming off the heels of Collateral, I had pretty high expectations for this. Mm -hmm. And Michael Mann was actually one of the original creators of the show Miami Vice, mm -hmm. or the director or showrunner or something. This, I think it's totally forgettable. Yeah. yeah, I think it it's is. totally forgettable. And here's the deal. Except this for is Colin what, Farrell's hair. This is bad boys without humor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you take all the humor out of the bad boys movies what you'd be left with is this movie and yeah. it's not very fun to watch i've got i know people who like this but man when i watched it i just there was no joy in it whatsoever that i could i could discern from it especially i mean i know you're you're taking a really silly show from the 80s sure. here and you're trying to make it you know gritty reboot and everything but uh yeah it just seemed like it it drained all of that joy from it and everything yeah, i would have been people that's what people liked about the show is that it was light it's in miami you got don johnson and everything and it, it, there was none of this it's yeah. like they set the dial like 20 percent too dark right you know, right in all levels yeah. yeah and colin farrell going i'm a fiend for mojitas <laughs> um <laughs> sure sure you are like that guy's hair <laughs> A very strange movie came out in 2006, Black Snake Moan. Uh, yeah, I like this movie I do, a lot. too. <laughs> I do, too. This is, uh, Samuel Jackson and Christina and Ricci. And Justin Timberlake again. And Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Uh, just an unusual movie. Yeah. I mean, Christina Ricci is a girl who goes a little bit crazy. Uh-huh. When, when she drinks... I, well, yeah, I, I think that exacerbates it, but she's got this demon. Apparently, yeah, she's got this demon. And Samuel Jackson's like this Bible thumping, like backwoods guy, Blues man who like <laughs> who like chains her to a radiator in his house or something, and then like, and then and and basically just it's oh, so weird, man. It is. It yeah. is. You know, it's got one of those scenes that should not work for me because it's so on the nose and it's so over the top. But mm -hmm. like when he plugs that guitar in and he starts playing that black snake moan yeah. song and she just inches over and just basically because it's storming outside and everything when you hear that crash of thunder and she grabs yeah. it, his uh his leg and the power goes out for a second he just launches into this riff and it's awesome i love it yeah i haven't seen it since it came out but it's just it's one of those just very very like b movie <laughs> find this shit on netflix sometime yeah type of thing and if you're a fan of christina ricci yeah, yeah I am. you you will definitely like this um but samuel jackson was also in another snakes uh themed <laughs> movie called snakes on a plane uh which 
was this the first time where we realized the internet had some power? It was one of the first times. Because when they made this movie, it was supposed to be serious. And then somebody on the internet wrote, did something where they imitated Samuel Jackson saying something about these motherfucking snakes on these motherfucking plane because that's what Samuel Jackson's known for is the motherfucking this and motherfucking <laughs> that. Um, unfortunately, that's sometimes for some people, that's the only thing he's known for. But uh, they went back and reshot just so that they could put a lot of that campy shit in there. And the <laughs> yeah. uh, movie's not good at all. No, and it's one of those movies. I don't think he made much money. I no. think it was like the internet loved the idea of it more than uh, yeah. the idea of going to <laughs> see it. going to see but it. But let's, for just two seconds, stick with the snake theme we accidentally have running here and mm-hmm. talk about Rescue Dawn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Similarly to Leo, I went on a run where I realized Christian Bale is one of our best working actors. Mm-hmm. I better see everything he's made that I've never seen. And Rescue Dawn was one of those movies. And inexplicably, this is a drama mm-hmm. with Steve Zahn, Jeremy Davies, and Christian Bale as POWs in Vietnam. Werner mm-hmm. Herzog. Werner Herzog. Yeah. And uh, the only reason it's a snake movie is when uh, he finally escapes at the end, he like kills a snake and takes a bite out of it. Like, he doesn't cook it or anything. Like he's been he's so starved and everything. It's such, such an unsettling scene. That, the movie's got plenty of unsettling moments. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not a comedy, even though Steve Zahn is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I enjoyed it, but it's weird as hell. Yeah, enjoyed the hell out of that movie. Uh, another another really, I thought, pretty good movie was Little Children. Oh, yeah. Um, and This is a really, really good movie. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Now, it's, it's an adultery drama, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Uh, My favorite. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I do want to also mention, because I showed you this trailer. Yeah. The trailer with the, the train all the way throughout is one of the best trailers I've ever seen. It's incredible. It's fantastic. Um, but the movie itself is pretty good, too. Um, uh, I, I think it's a little bit uh a little bit too much but it's overall re- really good um uh slither james gunn yeah. sl- beam talk about another snake movie here oh, I mean, wow that's awesome <laughs> yeah i mean it's i mean it's i mean it's more of a monster or whatever was this the project green light movie no oh the, the feast yeah oh, feast yeah. came out i believe in the previous year uh but uh but no this was james gunn he did this uh but it's a you know it, it, another one we're talking about nathan fillion here he's mm. really really good in this um uh a movie that has gotten a cult following that I really enjoy and probably shouldn't is Grandma's Boy. <laughs> <laughs> there is a part in here that is so funny to me because he's like jerking off. the The main guy in this is jerking off, and and this and his friend's mom walks in, and he's like, he's like, I can't stop. It feels so good. <laughs> ah. <laughs> But it's gotten this following over the years. I think it's from like the one AM viewings on yes. Comedy Central because yes. that's on all the time. Yes, it's a it is definitely a weed smokers type <laughs> movie. Um, we mentioned the Queen. Do you into anything else about that? Helen Mirren? Is terrific. She and, is. I mean, she's when you watch this and you go back and you watch the stuff that she was previously in, mm-hmm. like from the sixties all the way up. She's awesome in everything, almost. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Great yeah, performance. Yeah. Um, two of the worst movies I've ever seen, The Covenant and The Wicker Man, both came out in 2006. <laughs> Wicker Man. Not the bees. Yeah. Not the bees. Not the bees! <laughs> Not the bees! All right. 
Uh, anything else? Anything else? A scanner darkly came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting. That oh. they used that rotoscoping thing that they yeah. used in Waking Life. Waking right? Life. Richard yeah. Linklater. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I saw this once. I liked it. Okay. I think there's some people who really love this movie, but this was a Philip K. Dick. Yeah, novel, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Philip K. Dick uh, adaptation. <laughs> Crank came out in 2006. <laughs> this you mean is the Transporter Three. Yeah. Well, no, I don't. I don't go that far. Um. I think Crank is is now it's definitely not a movie that I would uh, espouse like, you know, hey, let's let's all start making movies like Crank. <laughs> <laughs> but it is just it is just a batshit insane movie. And if you're going to make a movie like this, make it like <laughs> this, because it's it's just it's like we know we're insane. We know that nothing makes sense. We know that this is just adrenaline you know, pumping through Jason Statham throughout the whole thing. Uh, just make it crazy as possible. And that's what they did. And I love, that's I why know, I like crank. I don't know how long this movie is, but it feels like it's like 60 minutes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It just goes by like a breath of air. Um, the last King of Scotland sort of, uh, introduced us to James McAvoy mm. and everything. Um, Forrest Whitaker, obviously very good. Won the Oscar for that. Um, and, and, and yet another adaptation of Charlotte's Web came out in 2006 with Dakota Fanning. Uh, Hollywood Land came out. Uh, yeah. This is sort of a Ben Affleck comeback um, because uh, he sort of went into that, you know, Benefer, ter- you know, that purgatory that was going <laughs> on. And um, and this was directed by a Sopranos guy, Alan Coulter. Uh but Ben Affleck plays George Reeves, the guy who played uh, the original Superman, mm. and uh, it, he's very good in this. And mm. I sort of think that that got him back onto the map, and he was able to get Gone Baby Gone going and all this other type of stuff. Uh, I don't know what the whole ordering of all this was, but it sort of got him back into that's the Josh Hartnett one, Hollywoodland. I think I it's the Black Dahlia. Yo, you're yeah, right. That's the yeah, Black Dahlia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Black Dahlia was the another James Elroy adaptation. Brian De Palma did that. Yeah. I thought was I mean, had that's like perfect symmetry to me, and that movie was not good. Hmm. Um, I don't think the book. I don't. I never read the book, but I don't think yeah. people who read the book really liked it either. If I'm if I remember correctly, but um, but yeah, Hollywood Land. Ben Affleck's really good in that, and I would recommend that. Letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers. Clint Eastwood did both of those World War II dramas. I thought Flags of Our Fathers was not that, eh, it wasn't all that interesting, but Letters from Iwo Jima certainly was. Do you think that, do you think you could have made one of them great if you'd just made one? I get what he was going for, mm. showing sort of b- both sides of that conflict, and I respect that, but I always felt like both movies suffered a little in quality because of how stretched thin he was. Yeah, that yeah, I think so. Um, but, I mean, it, Letters from Iwo Jima out of that group is the one that I would I would watch because that's the one that's like really like impactful to me. Um, Pedro Motovar's Volver came mm-hmm. out in 2006. Really good movie. Um, Dream Girls came out in 2006. I didn't like that very much at all. Uh, I felt like Jennifer Hudson won her Oscar based on a singing performance. Sure, sure she did. Like it, it was like yeah, like I I don't think she was bad in the movie or anything. I just I just felt like the I'm telling you I'm not going and all that. Mm-hmm. That was the the song that song just basically won her the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, but uh, you know, I, the movie itself, I just I wasn't really interested. In. We're with Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah, yeah, we're turned by Eddie Murphy in this. Yeah, and for a while, people were saying like, this is going to get him back. Mm-hmm. Clearly. It 
did not. No. <laughs> uh, a couple of minor comedies that I really like, Beer Fest and uh, Clerks 2. I like Beer Fest a lot. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, just a fun uh, Broken Lizard movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. Uh, Clerks 2, I mean, I've heard Kevin Smith say that he likes this better than his original Clerks. I, a lot of people do. Yeah, uh, I I don't, but yeah. uh, but I, I, I like a lot of moments in it and everything, especially the little lord of the rings star wars debate that's in there um also want to mention behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon a horror movie that uh that takes um that takes all the tropes of horror movies and and has characters very aware of it and making a documentary about Mm -hmm. it and and this this girl's going around like actually interviewing the killer <laughs> as he's like, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. And all that's really fun movie. Uh, uh, if you're, if you're a horror fan, especially watch that. Another magic, you have two magic movies. You have the mm, illusionist. Yeah, I almost brought that up and you have scoop, which wasn't really a magic movie, but Woody Allen. Yeah. And it was again, Scarlett Johansson and Hugh Jackman in the same movie. <laughs> um, and, and I, I kind of actually like scoop, but it, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big, the uh, illusionist is fun. It just, it, it's nothing like the prestige. No, it um, really isn't. But that's got Paul Giamatti in it. And yeah, uh, Ed Norton. Yeah. Jessica Biel. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Southland tales is another one. Richard Kelly. Like I, we thought Richard Kelly was going to be such a, a big force after well, Donnie dark cast for this one. He sure did. Yeah. Yeah, The Rock. You got Justin Timberlake. You got like, I mean, a ton of Sarah Geller's in that movie. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I remember watching this. It's just a befuddling movie. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but Justin Timberlake is a great in it. He's got that yeah Killers cover in there. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, right, and then uh, all right, so yeah, there's a few others that I would want to mention. I guess if we were a little bit had a little bit more time, but uh, let's go ahead and vote. All right, today's order is Chris, Barrett, and Jeremy. I relish the chance for my vote to not count. (laughs) This is a tough year, man. It is. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the movie I've seen most out of all this group, and that's going to be The Prestige. Oh, interesting. Um, And and I've I've seen The Prestige quite a bit of time, so, and it's just like Jeremy was talking about, like, you see something every time that makes you appreciate it more. Uh, I think that it's possible that you know that this movie isn't nearly as well not nearly but this isn't as good as some other ones that i could probably pick but it's the one that that i have watched the most and enjoy the most probably so i'm gonna go with that i can respect that pick yeah uh children of men for me mm-hmm. this movie hits everything it's a masterpiece yes it, it is maybe it it's probably in my top five of all time mm-hmm. uh it's for everything that we were saying about the unbroken shots the tension uh, the Clive Owen, uh, man, even Julianne Moore in, a, in kind of a smaller role. I, I, I love every bit of this. So that's my pick. Yep. All right. We're going to go another round because my pick is Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Yep. Nice. No, there you go. Uh, Children we of even, Men. We didn't even talk about Fast and Furious. <laughs> Children of Men is the winner. All right. Yay. Yay. And I I would call The Prestige my more favorite movie. Mm-hmm. But I think Children of Men is just like a half a percent more a filmmaking achievement mm. um there it's 1a and 1b i went round and round and round i wasn't even sure until about an hour before i got here well but. and it would have been my second choice so like and prestige was my second yeah, choice. we would have yeah. we would eventually gotten children of men on this i'm pretty sure or. It, it's interesting because the departed we all love the departed mm-hmm. but i mean it's just and it's a great great movie it's way up there with not only this year but a decade but it's just not 
for whatever reason in the class of those two, I guess. Yeah. It's funny, and maybe we'll have this discussion at some point, but I remember somebody asked me, maybe on Twitter, maybe on Reddit, like, what did I think the best movie was post-2000? And ended up saying Children of Men mm -hmm. um, for a bunch of different reasons, but I, I couldn't find anything to put up against that since the year 2000 that I thought was better. And I think, uh, well, we may talk about this here in a bit, but it's going to go down all time as one of the great yeah. classics. Yeah, right? absolutely. So on that post-apocalyptic note, mm -hmm. we are going to be talking about post-apocalypse. Centuries later, few people remain on this planet once called Earth. Judgment Day is inevitable. All I know is the child is my warrant. And if he is not the word of God, then God never spoke. This is the end. Earthquakes toppled cities within hours. Tsunamis wiped out what remained. Then came the invasion. It's the end of the world as we know it. Now, you know, it, we're, we're living in some street, we're some strange times. Yes, we are. We're in a divided country. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it feels like one side or the other is going to eventually just like <laughs> blow up one day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we wanted to talk about like uh, our favorite post-apocalyptic movies today. And um, who wants to take this one away? I'll take it. This topic came to me when I was thinking about the post-election rhetoric uh, about how, you know, things are really going to just go to hell. Uh, we had just recently done the X-Men Apocalypse uh, yeah. movie, too. Um, and it was a trending video on YouTube up to number four, even in the midst of all this post-election stuff. Yeah. So it's clear that people were Googling Apocalypse <laughs> um, in addition to the people that usually watch it. But I love these kind of movies. Mm -hmm. and, and I can point to a direct reason why. I love... It, not that I want to see this in real life, but I love the concept of hitting a reset button mm -hmm. and starting from scratch. And for that reason, I don't really like the zombie post-apocalyptic movies all that much. I like more of like the, you know, the virus has wiped everybody out. We're back to square one. What do we do? Yeah. Type of thing. What and do where we're do? Yeah. <laughs> where we're not running from things and that kind of thing. Uh, and for that reason, like I love... This goes back to, I think, an actual TV movie that was more of a miniseries, but Stephen King's The Stand. Yeah. Um, which was yearning to be cinematically adapted. Uh, so they did it in this miniseries with Gary Sinise and Rob Lowe and a few other, you know, pretty, you know, middle of the road actors. And it's cheesy, it's dated, but I love it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I actually watched it, I think, last year all the way through. And just the the concept of the virus taking out everybody, you know, the they show all that buildup of like how people would react in the moment, the chaos and everything, and just what they do and sets up this big conflict between good and evil at the end. But those beats in between it where they're just like walking and they're trying to figure out, yeah, you know, how do we how do we rebuild this whole thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, there's other movies that have done it like that, but that's that's my favorite like subgenre of this. I haven't seen the miniseries. I did read the book a mm -hmm. long time ago. Um, so and I, I can't remember it is 
So these people are survivors, and they don't know why they've survived it. They yeah, just, they're immune to the virus. Yeah, they're immune to the... Is that just a given, or do they just kind of like... Yeah, it's a given. I mean, because uh, Gary Sinise's character, forget his, his actual name, uh, is actually in quarantine for forever. Mm-hmm. It actually uh, happens to Matt Damon's character in Contagion, too, where mm-hmm. he's just like, you know, I, I just have the antibody or whatever. Uh, but it's very rare. It's like 1% or 2% of the population survives this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of... The, the way they explain it yeah i've always i've always enjoyed the you know how are you going to survive this because now all your infrastructure is is down there's you know you can't go to a hospital you can't go to a store anymore you have to like you know you have to fend for yourself and everything but there's a there's another uh sort of uh, uh kind of apocalyptic movie along these lines and there's three of them that i'm thinking of here Lars von Trier's Melancholia, mm-hmm. which is about a, a, a another world or planet about to crash into the Earth and everybody sort of like living their lives in the last few days and everything. Kirsten Dunst is in it. Uh, and it's and it's it's just very interesting. Like, all right, how are you going to spend your life when you know when the date is going to be? Yeah. And, and all these little things that you think are important aren't really that important anymore um but there's three of them there's another movie in 1998 called last night that talks about uh, is a you know it's about a bunch of people who know that the earth's about to end so they're trying to do all the things that they they can do before it before it uh you know before it blows up or whatever it's gonna do but the one that i really want to talk about is uh seeking a friend for the end of the world it's got yeah. steve carell yeah. and kira kira knightley in it I really love this movie, and it mm. didn't get much of an audience. Yeah, when it, no kidding. When it, well, you know, and and Steve Carell plays a guy; his wife's left him, and he's trying. He's he's depressed about it, and all this other type of stuff. And he's like, and people are like, "Stop being depressed about it. The world's ending. Go and find other people and everything." He's like, "I can't find other people. I can't just do <laughs> that." Uh, he sort of gets into Kira Knightley's life and everything, and of course, she's so appealing and everything. But uh, but yeah. Uh, I love this movie because it's, you know, you see these two characters who are in Steve Carell still, still like, uh, in love with his former wife and Kira Knightley's in a relationship, but they're on this road movie basically. And, and they're obviously like, you know, falling for each other, but at the same time, the world's about to end. So yeah. what is, what, what, what good is it? But then, then, you know, there's like a lot of that discussion, like, what does it matter whether or not, you know, you're going to cheat on your boyfriend yeah. or whatever at this point that, you know, sort of raises those type of questions. Also got a batshit insane restaurant scene in this too. That's so funny. It's like, uh, the, they go to like a TGI Fridays or something like that. And the wait staff is all drunk and just like <laughs> doing conga lines and all that type of stuff. It's fantastic. So anyway, why'd uh, they even go to work? Yeah. Yeah. They're just having a party, man. I'm, I tend to be a sucker for the, more traditional look and feel like desert wasteland yeah. post-apocalypse mm-hmm. movies like wally was the first thing that came to my mind yeah. for this question because we start out and all of humanity except those on the ship have it's been wiped out you know it sort of suggests maybe the possibility that everyone got off the planet and there was more than one ship or whatever mm-hmm. but uh earth is a wasteland and wally is the last entity on on the planet uh until eve shows up and of course humans got off the planet got really lazy got really fat and blubbery over the evolution of generations but i just love the notion of the end of this movie when they come back and put the plant back in the ground 
feel like it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like, they're a bunch of shitheads. They're idiots. But they're going to figure it out because they can grow food. And, yeah. And uh, I, I, I just love Wally, so I just had to work in a mention of that. Well, <laughs> no, love it. And the other huge barren wasteland apocalypse story is Mad Max Fury Road. Well, yeah. Or Mad Max in general, but... I mean, the original Mad Max and then the Road Warrior mm-hmm. uh, were both really good. Yeah. But this blows it out of the water, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fury Road is is a, just an achievement. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, I've heard this described as life after the post-apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, like 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 in in post apocalyptic stories, the thing that happened has just happened. It's like a year away, like it happened a year ago, or it happened just now, or whatever. This is life many years after the mm-hmm. apocalypse and everything, and it shows how you know it's almost a you know it's another sort of like interesting window into the future if things keep going the way that they go and everything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, that's sort of the the sort of the secret messages out of mad max fury rose like while you're sitting there enjoying this you're realizing there's some things in there like water is a scarce entity yeah it's very scary the opposite of water world yeah absolutely (laughs) what about water world oh i fucking love it it's terrible (laughs) um and it's very much the same like you're it's it's long after the apocalypse has Mm. happened and these people have all just gotten used to we're all living on water Except for the rumored dry land. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. one would have to guess is like Everest, right? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. It would have to be like one of the highest points in the world elevation wise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fun, bad apocalypse movie. Then you're going to get the postman after this, which <laughs> yeah. is not a fun. This is three and a half hours of cheese, <laughs> like processed American cheese to the point <laughs> at the end where the guy, the older guy, points at the statue of the postman taking a letter from a little boy and says, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. And, and I wanted to like it because I liked Waterworld so much, but there's almost nothing redeemable about the postman. Well, in our quest to talk about Children of Men virtually every segment yeah. in this episode, yeah. that is such a clever method of a post-apocalyptic world. It's not in the general sense of like everybody's dead or anything like that, but it's like Britain is one of the only places in the world where you can actually come with some sort of infrastructure, right? That's why they have all these refugees coming in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Because, you know, it looked like New York was destroyed. All these, they go through all the cities that were destroyed and everything. But Britain is the the paragon of, and of course, it's all like militaristic and everything. And they've got the, they are horrible to these refugees. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I love the, just, I love that concept that, you know, there's something, there's something that has happened that we're not sure about. Like there's not mm-hmm. a, there's not any answer to to what's going on or whatever that's a great concept though just they can't nobody's giving birth anymore there's no children there's no more children and everything and i just that's just it's just something that really gets your mind going a lot of times and and they i don't they no they never explain no it just it just is it just is i mean and there's but there's this one miracle baby that's in this whole thing and like that's a curiosity in of itself yeah and um, yeah, well, she even says like when he's like, "Who's the father?" She's like, "Oh, I'm a virgin." Yeah, Because you actually may have guessed that that was the case. In yeah, this. yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, when and when apocalyptic movie has a concept like this, that's where 
I really get on board with it. It's kind of like uh, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, you know, type of thing. That it's really after the post-apocalypse and mm-hmm. everything. Uh, we we had talked about it before, but it, it's it's. I love the. I just I love the idea that it, it's. This is what the. This is what the world is like, and it sort of like teaches you to be like. Um, you shouldn't take of the things that you have for granted. Can you? Can yeah, you? Yeah, something as simple as giving birth. Right? Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine if this thing that is normal everyday stuff was scarce mm-hmm. and and it's a scary it's a scary proposition and it's something that. I feel like even though it's not likely to happen in our lifetimes or anything, it's something that very well could happen. And it's, you know, maybe not the maybe not the children never being born. Who knows? Yeah. Well, Who knows? Maybe you maybe there's some sort of genetic mutation that happens. Absolutely. Because, yeah. Yeah. When you ground it in some sort of reality. And the cool thing about it is that it explores all the themes that could come off of that, like the uprising of these uh these factions that are against the government and everything. And then you have the first scene is just going about everyday life mm-hmm. where he's going in for a cup of coffee, yeah. basically going to his job and everything. And you know, that that's the kind of thing that I love is seeing how people would react to this crazy shit happening. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, for whatever reason, I, I, when we talked about the Island and stuff like that last yeah. week, I think about those every once in a while as post-apocalyptic. Now Logan's run definitely mm-hmm. is Logan's run is definitely post-apocalyptic because they're in a place that once they break out of it, and that's not that's not really like giving away anything. Of course, mm. it's like a forty year old movie, but yeah. <laughs> um, but once they break out of it, they see all this stuff that's been overgrown, and like you know, there's there are like there's I think there's like one person still living out there or whatever. But there's like this, uh, it it's just I mean, Logan's Run is just uh, I just I just love those type of movies where they um. You know, they have this, you know, they, they're all living in this one space. They're not allowed to go out. Why are they not allowed to go out? And when they finally do break out, they see the truth of their world around them and everything. The island and the uh, the movie we also talked about, the um, Never Let Me Go, mm-hmm. has that has that sort of, it's not really apocalypse, though. It's more, it's more like, it's more like they've been told that the apocalypse has happened. Yeah. And, or something bad has happened. And does it really, it's kind of an interesting thing to ask. It doesn't really qualify as post-apocalypse if they think it is and their lives are that, but then they find a greater truth. I think that's almost post-apocalypse. Yeah. And I guess that would be the same for Snowpiercer too, but you have to, the ones that succeed on this is showing it from a singular perspective. You can't Mm -hmm. do it like World War Z where you see everything happening at once or even contagion to a certain degree because there's so many people involved with it, Mm -hmm. so many different perspectives. When you get it from somebody who in some like 28 days later where you wake up and you're experiencing and you're learning all this stuff with the viewer, Mm -hmm. that's where it's really cool instead of just throwing it at you all at the same time. Yeah. A weird movie that I watched late at night, and it's kind of what you were talking about. Melancholia is is similar to, but it's called Four Forty Four: The Last Day on Earth, mm-hmm. and this is Willem Dafoe shacked up with this woman uh, who's a painter, I think, and they're just basically hanging out, waiting for the end of the world. It's going to happen like in an hour or two or three or something like that, and it's such a weird perspective. You don't get really any information from the outside world or anything. You just know that these characters are living their last few hours. Mm-hmm. And Willem Dafoe will like go out on the rooftop of this uh, apartment and he'll see somebody just jumping off the roof. Oh, wow. 
And it's weird because you expect stuff like that to happen, but he has this visceral reaction of like, no, wait. Mm-hmm. And really yeah. just let yeah, him do it basically. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I like that stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, and you know, when we're talking about the, these other movies where they're trying to, you know, they're living out their last days and everything. It's very interesting to think about what you would do in those. Yeah. Really. There's no rules at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no laws you have to really worry about. That's why like, uh, seeking a friend for the end of the world has that great moment where there's a cop who's just sitting there, he he actually still doing his job like yeah. pulling people over for speeding and they're yeah. like telling him like isn't this kind of stupid you yeah. know that you're doing this still and he he doesn't even think about it because it i guess he loves that job and that's all he's going to do for the ra- rest of his yeah. days well there's there's you know? a book series called the last policeman mm-hmm. uh that's about that where oh, yeah? a guy like actually ends up investigating a crime and investigating like a disappearance or murder mystery that involves his sister uh and they've got this comet or asteroid or something like that that's going for the Earth. Mm-hmm. And they know it's going to happen. They know we're going to die and all that stuff. Uh, but he goes about this thing. And everybody keeps asking him, like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Just let it go. And he's like, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> to the world? yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's stuff like that. It's so much better than something like Armageddon. Yeah. Well, and, and those movies are the those movies are the trying to prevent the, uh, the apocalypse mm-hmm. from happening or whatever. Like, um. I mean, I, I I guess in a way, uh, those are apocalyptic movies because it's supposed to happen again at some point. Yeah. Where it's 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 mathematically certain that we will be hit by an asteroid. Yeah, yeah. We just don't know when that's gonna be yeah. or whatever. So we're all really kind of living that like pre-apocalypse, <laughs> aren't we? We're in a pre-apocalypse, <laughs> pre-apocalypse right now. Right now. Maybe a billion years. Yeah, but it's, it's it, it might be a while, but uh, but yeah, it's. Um, um, I don't think, you know, they don't qualify, but they're, but they do have sort of those themes like, you know, end of the world could happen if they don't solve the problem or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's basically like, well, I, of course, every one of these freaking movies, they've dug an underground bunker series of tunnels that only like the elite or the yeah uh, the best of the best can go into i'm just like man are the arcs like in 2012 right right <laughs> well it's the same i guess it's the same thing with the dr strange love and everything where yeah it's, yeah it's another sort of pre-apocalypse and then mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it the apocalypse has is underway basically yeah. by yeah. the time it's over um but uh, i i love i love in dr strangelove just the discussions between these very elite white men yeah. who are saying they'll there's, there's going to be 10 females for every male <laughs> down in this bunker and everything and of course they'll be selected for their attractiveness and you know whatever that type of stuff yeah of course. you know and and just the idea that the u.s would you have have george c scott who uh, apparently didn't know he was in a comedy i'll never <laughs> understand that story by the way um but george c scott in there i, I love the part where they're he's t- they're talking about how um you know what if the russians have uh have a mine shaft that's gonna go deeper it's gonna get it's gonna let them survive even better than we do and it's like mr president we cannot allow a mine shaft gap <laughs> he's like, he talking about these gaps between the americans and the russians like who's got the edge and everything and it's a mine shaft it's one of the funniest fucking things in that movie i love it so much yeah well uh, is is the Matrix the best post-apocalyptic movie ever made? Do you think? Yeah, but the problem is people will fight you on whether or not that's 
people are going to want to classify that as sci-fi more than post-apocalyptic yeah. and we spend so much time in the computers but, and the yeah. but the real world is you know it's a wasteland it's a wasteland and you know it's you know they uh have destroyed the sky and all this other type of stuff and you know um but also by the end of this trilogy you're like oh they're just they're just re redoing it over and over and over again and everything so like the real world really starts to become i don't know uh but yeah i i i would actually you you know i would actually put the terminator as far as yeah. like if you would if you're talking about uh, post-apocalypse and everything i i think the terminator is better than the matrix in that respect mm -hmm. um it but it, man i i love the terminator so much because it's another one of those movies like you know it's you're in your reliance on technology and everything is 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 going to eventually wipe you out because yeah. you know the the there's a lot of discuss i mean i've seen a lot of uh, articles about these self-driving cars and stuff like that where like you know that because they follow the rules of the road so much there's a real danger to that yeah <laughs> i mean it's, it's i robot right yeah exactly <laughs> um but uh these yeah these robots are only programmed to do what you tell them to do and if they start learning and all that and it's it's a scary proposition and everything so like i, I think the terminator really is i mean in, in this category is better than the matrix yeah i mean that that covers like the the two big robots machines taking over the yeah thing. uh what about aliens taking over like uh independence day <laughs> that's not a post-apocalyptic movie it's an apocalyptic movie though right it's a near apocalyptic movie <laughs> it's like war of the world is a an apocalyptic movie it's a near apocalyptic movie but not enough people die in either one of those how many movies people have to die to make it apocalyptic a i think a couple billion i think I think the entire infrastructure of the world itself has to go away before you call it a, an apocalyptic movie, a post-apocalypse. You you have to have zero ways of going to buy anything or, you know, uh, you're fending on the lay of the land at that point. You're, you're having to, you have to get food based on what you can actually hunt and kill yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Kind of like... The road, which is a Ugh. oh, the road, devastatingly hard to watch, very hard to watch, and a great book. It is a terrific. Book. I've never read the book, but I heard it's great. It's well, Cormac I think the McCarthy. Great. It's just hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, there's there's no end in sight <laughs> with these guys. Yeah, and, and so much so that they they lose their humanity. I think uh, Viggo Mortensen's character is the man, and his kid is the boy. Um, yeah, they don't even have names in the script. They don't describe what happened. They don't describe really, you know, what what the the whole landscape is. They just are slogging through this road. And yeah, you're right. It, it is a good movie. It's a really great book, but it's not really easy to watch. The moment with Michael Kenneth Williams in this movie <laughs> really will play with your emotions yeah. because he has done something horrible to Viggo Mortensen and his kid. But then Viggo Mortensen exacts a, a revenge that I think is ten times worse. Yeah. <laughs> and there is, I've never felt, I've never felt more bad for a character that has done something horrible in a movie than for Michael Kenneth Williams in this movie. <laughs> it is awful, and he's so good in that scene. I've, I, that's the one where I was close to crying. Yeah, because he, he it's just the way he pleads with him. Yeah. And everything is just something else. And yeah, it's a tough one to watch. 
But I'd almost just, if you're just, you know, hate yourself one day, watch this movie. <laughs> if you hate yourself one day. <laughs> watch this movie and just realize that it can be worse. One of the more interesting takes on an end of the world scenario is Snowpiercer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the fact that now it's it's global warming or an ice age or something that, that's taken over the world that they're on this self-perpetuating machine, right? Mm-hmm. And this is all of humanity, right, that we know of yeah. on yeah. this train. And that's a really cool way to, to put it to where people are confined to an area, even though it's a this terrifically long train. And, you know, they have to interact and you get the front and the back and all that stuff. Although, I know what baby tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are hints in this movie that there are maybe other people out there mm-hmm. and everything. Because there's the whole talk about... Isn't there like a... Like they see a tent or something in oh, the... animals. Well, yeah, they see animals, animals yeah. at the very end. But there's, a, there's another story that they're telling in the movie where like, he swears he saw something or somebody or yeah, something yeah, yeah. or something different or mm-hmm. whatever. But yes, that is a very interesting take on the apocalypse. Like, yeah. uh, just the idea that they have to be on this thing to survive and everything. And of course they've got that catchy song that they, <laughs> that they learn. Yeah. You know. <laughs> what happens if the engine stops? We all freeze and die. <laughs> <laughs> There's another movie, by the way, this is a little off topic, but it has a great action scene in it where like, you know, the, the train curves around. Oh, that's terrific. And you know, you have the, you know, the main bad guy or main, you know, henchman, henchman guy, yeah. like trying to shoot, chris evans through all this you know this distance and everything and it's just well very well done yeah um but yeah i love that movie i almost brought up oblivion um yeah which i don't know that you know it's a post-apocalyptic movie until we get pretty far into it uh but it gives me similar vibes to see like the empire state building in that movie just barely sticking out the tip of some kind of ash mountain yeah, yeah. like they can go to the top of the empire state building just by walking yeah they don't have to go <laughs> up uh that kind of shit always fascinates me like in Waterworld when he takes her down to show her the buried underwater buildings the same kind of thing from ai i guess ai would be a post-apocalyptic movie wouldn't it no maybe not something happened there's a whole city's underwater <laughs> yeah something happened <laughs> One more clever take on the apocalypse is this is the end. Yeah. This feels like Ocean's 12 to me, where all these guys just wanted to get together with their buds and yeah. make a movie, and this is what they came up with. That being said, it's 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 entertaining to mm-hmm. me. I laughed a lot watching it. A lot of like yeah. funny in-jokes with all the characters ripping on their own movies and all that. <laughs> it's really fun. Did we talk en- enough about zombie movies, really? Did we? I no, mean, no. We, that's we the that is the major. Yeah, yeah. That is the major apocalyptic movie. Mm-hmm. Is is anything zombies? Because it's always like you know, <laughs> the it, the first day that it happens, like there nobody knows what's going on. Like the next few weeks, like okay, now everybody's like hiding and you know apartment buildings and stuff like that and whatever. But love twenty eight days later mm-hmm. because this is what you're talking about. Uh, when Killian Murphy gets up and like goes through London and like sees London completely barren, that is an absolutely stunning shot. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is something that always gets my, you know, I grabs my interest is to see these worlds that they're living in, you know, that after all this has happened, how are they going to survive? What are they going to think of to do and all that? It's, it's you know it's it always always interests me when that happens like just but yeah all those stuff you can use zombies for 
any allegory, which really? George Romero used, obviously, for, for the Night of the Living Dead and all that stuff. And you can use them as straight up terror, just like the Walking Dead is using them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can also use it as, you know, the, the rebuilding of humanity while still having to deal with the vestiges of these animated corpses trying to hunt you down. Right? Yeah. And it also, they also a lot of times have the comment about how we have become zombies mm-hmm. and everything. The zombies are no different from the humans that, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's that type of thing that always happens in these zombies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so those were a few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yay. Yay. <laughs> yay, apocalypse. Yay for the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen. Right. But if you're in the mood to feel like watching the end of the world or after the end of the world, watch some of these. Yes. All right, a little uh, Q&A? Yeah, let's do some Q&A. Question. Question. I got something to say. I'm listening. All right. The first one comes to us from our subreddit, uh, Cinema Sins subreddit. Go to it if you want to ask questions. Got some good ones this week. First one is, what movies from 2000 onward do you think will be considered classics in the future? We talked about a little bit. Children of Men. Children of Men is definitely one I think we can all agree that uh, will be considered a classic. Um, one thing I want to get your guys' opinion on, I think people will look back on The Revenant and put it up there with like some of the greatest movies of like the 70s because it was so innovative it was so well done it was so immersive i think it's probably going to become kind of uh just like an underground classic i guess mm-hmm. well i mean i i would love that to happen because i would love to see more action sequences shot the way the ones in this movie are uh, when the, whether it's when they're trying to get to the boat or when he's riding the horse over the cliff and you get these one take kind of shots where we're panning around and showing you various things it's freaking awesome for that uh i I don't know i i think it could but i'm not ready to say it will um because for some reason i feel like it's already sort of had its reputation tarnished a bit because of that scorsese issue where they gave leo the oscar because they were paying him back for all this other the movie's not actually that good it was Mm. just that i think there's some of that out there I disagree, but I think there's some of that out there. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way the method behind it was just so great. And and yeah, I think that did factor a lot into the Oscar win because his performance was so silent and everything. He's, you know, huddled under this this bearskin. But uh, I mean, just Tom Hardy alone and like just the, the fact that they only use natural light for this, right? Yeah. Well, that was a, ultimately a production pain in the ass to where yeah. Tom Hardy was punching the director at some point. <laughs> but yes, it's all natural light. This question sort of makes me think, do they mean like we what we do when we look back at The Godfather or something mm-hmm. like that? And so, yes, I would probably put stuff like City of God and There Will Be Blood, No Country for All Men. We've talked about these ad nauseum, but... Uh, one of the movies that uh, I wrote on a list that maybe doesn't quite fit that Godfather model, but I think we will look back on it as a classic as Iron Man. Oh, huh. uh, because it's it. We're going to look. I think once there, who knows when this is going to happen, if it'll ever happen. But once these comic book movies go out of favor, and I think there will be a point when that happens, although. Nothing so far has proven to be, you know, the Achilles heel of these movies. But, yeah. uh, but I feel like there's going to be a point where we're going to be tired of them and all that other stuff. And people are going to come back to that first Iron Man and go, see, that was just really simple and well done. And uh, that's the way we should make them, you know, and that's sort of what I, you know. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I went back and, and just recently watched that first scene where they're in the Humvee going to the, the weapon site with Tony Stark with his drink and everything. 
that is so much fun. Yeah. He's just like, he looks at me, he's like, oh, you're a female. I legit did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you got the bone structure. Like, now I can't stop looking at you. And they're all cracking up. You know, the guy's taking pictures. That's just so much fun that you don't get, especially in opening shots in these things. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a very interesting call. And I think you could be right. Yeah, I mean, those ones that I mentioned before it are obviously going to be, I believe, I mean, they, if not already considered right. classics. And, and like even like stuff like Lord of the Rings, I think, is considered classics at this point. But uh, if we want to look at something in you know just uh, just in our very immediate past and everything, that feels like a movie that will have more appreciation over the years than we than we just currently like. Oh, that was a big blockbuster movie or whatever. But I'm gonna look back at that as really like actually genuinely good or whatever not like the godfather of course but no but you forget how good it is after you've seen iron man so many times you forget how great that first one is yeah, yeah. no totally all right what fictional spaceship would you like to travel the galaxy with in <laughs> <laughs> just tuck it under my arm <laughs> <laughs> and are there any characters from sci-fi space universe that you would like, bring along? I just get this picture of like a starship holding your hand walking down the beach. People, let me tell you about my best friend. Uh, who wants to go first? Starship Enterprise, baby. Mm. I'll steal it so you guys oh, can't. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love me some Millennium Falcon. I love me the ship in Serenity. I love all the, guy all the ones you guys are going to answer, but uh, I have been a Trek fan for my entire life mm -hmm. and there's something about that ship and its history i'll take any of them you can give me the next generation one you can give me the old school one you can give me the new movies version uh but if it's if it says enterprise like uss federation starship enterprise on the outside um it's mine you can do anything on that ship well especially if you get the holodecks yeah i mean if you get the next generation version you have holodecks you have uh replicators that make all the food you want uh you can go up to warp nine and travel and visit other places yeah mm -hmm. um, it's got it all yeah and it's got the captain's chair it's got yeah. the <laughs> captain's chair it's i got well, not it. everybody can sit in the captain's chair yeah just me yeah and chris pond <laughs> yeah uh i am going to go with the heart of gold from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy oh, oh nice um just because of the improbability drive <laughs> <laughs> because i i i i would love to be able to change change my circumstance in the weirdest way possible and uh that's uh that's something that i i find you know obviously it's rid a ridiculous thing like you know you would never really like demand a, a, an improbability drive to be on your <laughs> spaceship or whatever. But there's more to it than just the improbability drive. You have you have a very personable uh, ship computer on there that mm -hmm. is telling you constantly what's going on, and what you need to do, and what the percentages and all that. <laughs> stuff. Um, but uh, I live in a goofy world, so I want to have Heart of Gold as <laughs> my ship. That's a good one. That is a good one. I actually thought about Discovery One from 2001 uh, mm -hmm. in this because. It's a really cool ship. It's really big. Uh, you see the guy. It's got that uh, centripetal force thing where the guy can run upside down in circles all day. Uh, but I can't do that because Hal would just freak me the fuck out. Yeah. But the Hermes in The Martian oh, yeah. is a great spaceship. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he goes through that like introduction video where he's like going to the different sections of it and like, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? You know, introducing the ship. And it's awesome. And yeah. Yeah, it's got a good gym on it. Yeah, it's a full gym. I was just going to say that. I also love the way they go down that main corridor and then sort of like backwards dive 
into the ladder rooms so mm-hmm. that by the time they get to the bottom of the ladders, they're so far out, there's gravity there and they can just start walking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. I feel like this is a fairly unique question. I am an architecture student at Kent State in Ohio who is potentially interested in designing film sets. Good for you. Good luck. What films have really stuck out to you as having outstanding sets, especially ones without CG assistance? Um, Okay, so for me, this begins and ends with Ken Adams' work, who did Dr. Strangelove, and he did The Mm -hmm. War Room and Dr. Strangelove, which is generally considered the best set of all time by most people. But he's mostly known, I think, for James Bond sets. Mm -hmm. Way back in the day, the Sean Connery stuff, and and almost a, a lot of the Roger Moore ones, he's done the sets and like if almost everywhere they go any fantastic specter lair or anything like that is fucking ken adam Mm -hmm. and they always look amazing they always pull you into the film and um i'm always if you're a i mean i'm sure i mean if he's a film set guy he's probably that's probably like chapter one (laughs) um so that I, i i would i would definitely study that guy if you haven't yeah I actually made a joke in our Citizen Kane video uh, about for a movie that features Xanadu, it doesn't Xanadu much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually love the set of Xanadu and Citizen Kane, um, especially it takes forever to get there. But in that third act where it finally shows you the scope of this and even when it's full of statues and art and all that stuff, it is just enormous, especially for the time. That's just a terrific set. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with the Matrix, um, specifically the ship, mm-hmm. because they had to create something that doesn't exist in real life. They had to make it look like it was advanced technology from our current time, but also worn down and used as hell. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a grime to all the scenes on that ship. Of course, it's offset by the stylized computer world in the Matrix, but... You know, they built all that from scratch. It's not like they went and said, oh, let's go use the submarine and shoot in there. I mean, and it actually ends up feeling like an actual ship mm-hmm. that they're moving throughout. And uh, so, yeah, I'd go that route. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, um, that'll be it for this week. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your comments and telling us how we're doing. Love hearing them. Yeah. Love interacting with people on SoundCloud. You know, everybody... Even the people who don't like something that we've done that have a problem with some of our segments uh, or disagree with our choices on movies and stuff like that, everybody's cordial. It's it's really fun. Yeah, I agree. There's something cool about that because not every community is like that. Yeah. Even on the subreddit, you're going to find at least one or two that are, that are a little bit more, a little bit less cordial. <laughs> I actually <laughs> saw you responded. Thanks for stopping by and complaining about it. <laughs> well, he had the silliest complaint ever. It's just that classic, like, you know, and somebody says, this is a stupid article. And somebody else is like, well, you read it and came down here to comment. Anyway. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, just keep on giving us your feedback. We love that stuff. And, uh, anyway, that'll be it for this week. Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sherry. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Nice. Wow, that is a heavy recommended... He- Chemistry is the study of transformation. <laughs> Who was Sid in uh, 
City of Men. Children Do you remember? Huh? Children of Men? Yeah. What did I say? City of City Men? City of Men. Children Which is men. the sequel to City of God, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, but he looks exactly like Brian Cranston, like a British Brian Cranston. Oh. <laughs> He's like, Sid, Sid uh, will get you a boat. Peter Mullen is the guy who played Sid. Hmm. Oh, and he's been, yeah, he's been a lot of shit. Braveheart. Malcolm in the Middle. Braveheart was one of, yeah, Malcolm in the Middle. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> but then you watch that scene where Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal are by the campfire, and he's like, just goes into this monologue, and he's like, oh, shit, yeah. that's the most I've yeah. heard you say all, all week. And he's like, that's the most i said all year. <laughs> this I'll, thing between you and me. <laughs> I love the part right before they fuck where he's like... <laughs> You're too drunk to go up to them sheep because he's like trying to, he's like crawling on the ground. I'll go get the sheep now. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's in the tent like, you're too drunk to go get them sheep. Fucking <laughs> Heath Ledger's accent in that is so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. I love We him. should have seen the Dark Knight performance coming just from that performance, but I don't think I actually saw that movie until after the yeah, Dark Knight. That's, that's the reason why I thought he was going to be good as Joker. Um, and and I remember when he was first announced, everybody's like, Heath Ledger, the guy from Brokeback Mountain. I was like, have you seen? Have you seen Brokeback yeah. Mountain? Yeah. What was the other? He was in one more thing. I know 10 Things I Hate About You, but he was in another one that was amazing right before Brokeback, I think. Mm, I can't think of it right off the bat, but I, I think you might be right. He was in that. He was Billy Bob Thornton's son in the uh, oh, Monsters yeah. Ball. Oh, yeah. Monsters Ball. Yeah. Uh, Chris, can you talk for one second? Talking for one second, man. That's like two seconds. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I said did one I, second. Did I fuck it up? I <laughs> fucked it up, didn't I? You go through this list. Jaws, Rocky, Annie Hall, Animal House. Animal House is a weird addition there. Alien, Empire, Raiders, E.T., Right Stuff, which is kind of interesting. Amadeus, Back to the Future. Aliens, Untouchables, Die Hard, When Harry Met Sally, <laughs> Goodfellas, Silence of the Lambs, Few Good Men, Schindler's List, Pulp Fiction, Usual Suspects, Fargo, L.A. Confidential, Out of Sight, Matrix, Almost Famous. I can't, I'm honestly still, The Matrix should have won. I know you think it should have won. But that... That that was an interesting pick for '99, I think. Well, there are a bunch of other movies you would think we would pick first, but it it, it was only The Matrix because that was my first pick, and we went two or three rounds. Yeah, I think it was our third picks or something. Almost Famous, Homily, City of God, Lost in Translation, Incredibles, Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you seen this? Yeah, but again, I my my arguer inside wants to say that's not a post-apocalyptic movie. It's The Rapture. Uh, it's still I would call it an apocalyptic movie, not post-apocalyptic. <laughs> so basically, yeah, they're they're not living afterwards to experience what I'm a dickhead. Go ahead, talk about this movie. <laughs> Abracadabra Holmes. You'd still be wearing leader hosen eating sauerkraut. It wasn't for Absolutely. America. Absolutely. Over in France. Check 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 the math. WW2. Aren't you relieved to know you're not a golem? <laughs> 